Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed a huge shout out to our friends at tennis point for their support with this series remember go to tennis-point.com right now use that promo code cr15 to express your thanks with all of that said we're ready to get to today's episode so westoff hit those credits let's start today's show Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast again is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you probably know him best as a member of the Western Illinois Sports Hall of Fame. I know him as the head coach of the Wake Forest men's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, Coach Tony Bresky. Coach, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is always a pleasure. And I feel like we haven't explored your Western Illinois career enough. I mean, a Hall of Fame career, all-time wins leader, that's pretty good, Coach. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was that was some good times back then. Uh, we enjoyed it there. It's a, it's kind of sad that they've done away with the program now. Mm-hmm. I've heard rumors that it was your playing style that attracted Coach Boland to you. Like, that's what it was. He just it, you were very, kicked his very, ass very, for four very years. Possible. <laughs> very possible. He was at Indiana State, and we uh, – battled them a couple times and uh yeah that that must have been it yeah exactly so maybe we'll put that on the back burner for a different show but of course on today's uh podcast i want to talk about your season last year and i thought it was a fascinating one and i will just say this at the record i had you guys preseason number two i looked at all the depth i look at all the names and i thought oh man there's so much talent on this roster now you look overall on the season i mean the headline number 29 and 7 that sounds very good, but of course, NCAA second round, I know you hold yourself to a higher standard than that. As you look back at last season, what were your takeaways? What are your reflections on the year? Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting year, you know, with COVID. I think uh, it's it's been a much more normal fall. You know, we were kind of felt like we were on pins and needles. Obviously, there's so much in the air. You know, for, for the longest time, we were obviously hopeful that uh, Barb Otzer was going to return for the season and um, you know, that, that didn't pan out. So obviously that kind of changes things when you're, you know, one of your top two or three guys, um, you know, doesn't come back. And so, you know, we went from, you know, obviously, you know, maybe where you projected us to, um, you know, having some younger guys get a lot of action. Um, it, it was tough. I never felt like we hit full stride till probably mid March. Mm-hmm. You know, we had obviously in the ACC we're, we weren't allowed to play in the fall. Um, so thus we had a lot of guys take the fall off just so they had a chance to play. Um, you know, and we had guys came back, we had a couple of good practices and, and bam, we had five guys get hit with COVID. Mm-hmm. So we had our first five matches of the season canceled. Our first match was at kickoff weekend. Um, you know, literally our first match with three starters out of our lineup, you know? And so we went and played kickoff weekend and obviously we had a chance to not play that if we wanted to. 
um you know we could have got a med- medical exemption i just uh, we just kind of felt like after such a long time of not playing you know the boys were ready to go go and give it a shot and you know even having said that you know i think the guys who had covid pretty mild symptoms you know for the most part but the lasting effects were there for a good say two three weeks after they got cleared and then you know getting into match play i mean if you think about the last two years you know two of our top three players there henry squire and taha body had played you know by mid-march hadn't even played yet a full college season because they came in the, the january before that they got to play two months season ended you know no tennis over summer no tennis over fall come back get covid play so it took us a while to get in the flow of things i think once we did um you know it was pretty good you know we obviously you know we were able to beat unc at unc and georgia at georgia um you know we took a couple couple really tough four three losses which you know if those go the other way lost four three to baylor lost four three to ucf um you know and then obviously because of um the big 10 not being able to play in the fall and then you know their rankings we drew ohio state second round which you know it is what it is you know it's you can't i don't blame the ncaa committee for doing that it was just they went off the rankings and you know i think everyone knew ohio state was a top 10 team and we were probably you know a top 10 team at the time and it was okay you just have to go battle it out and they got the better of us that day and um you know it was certainly a tough draw Mm-hmm. And I'm so fascinated to hear you talk about the fall because obviously this year you had the chance to work with your team and it's still, even with all of the returners, uh, seemingly feeling young team. How frustrating was that for you in particular last fall and how difficult did that make the first few months? I know you alluded to it, but just, you know, how many of your guys, because I know you've got a bunch of international guys on the roster, just weren't even on campus in the fall. And so, you know, it takes what, a month, a month and a half to get them in the Wake Forest system? 100%. I mean, we had... Yeah, we had like six or seven guys take the fall off. And <laughs> yeah. It was just, um, you know, ultimately it was probably what was best for them. You know, we were we were able to train quite a bit. You know, our tournament restriction, restrictions last fall, you know, guys were allowed to leave campus, but then it was like a mandatory quarantine, mm-hmm. mandatory COVID test. So, you know, you go play a tournament over in Greensboro, which is 30 minutes away, and then you're out for five days after the tournament. <laughs> so it was, you know, it, it was a challenge, I think, um, you know like i said it, it feels a lot better this fall we've had a we've had a great fall we've had some guys get a lot of matches in um a lot of competition you know for the most part we're getting healthy we brought in um a few grad guys you know who have all been here on campus so you know that, that's i mean even a guy like adam ambrosi last year who's grad transfer he didn't even start with us till january i mean he had a semester to go you know so it was uh it was certainly a challenge by the way, it's not a December till we get that December roster announcement from you. So I'm expecting still at least one more guy, Coach. That, that, that's right. That's yeah. right. We need that December surprise. But no, it's it, – I mean, it, it's interesting because I think one of the developments, and maybe this is pro or con, I'm curious your opinion on it, from last off season or last fall, excuse me, is the SEC had the opportunity to play all these hidden duels because that's really all that was available to them. And you talk to countless coaches, and they'll all say they thought it was a major benefit to their teams early on in this season season i'm curious where you fall on that argument i think hidden duels are here to stay in the fall and are you pro more team action in the fall or do you like the individuals so that that's an interesting one we did a hidden duel a couple weeks ago in south carolina we enjoyed it we run a lot of utr events we just ran a college event which was a normal one obviously you got get regionals fall champs i think it's i i enjoy the hidden duel from a it does certainly feels more like a team mm-hmm. situation you know, you kind of you wear the same gear and you warm up all the same. You know, your time is about the same. You know, it makes for shorter days than a normal fall tournament. So I think that's fantastic. I don't think personally I'd ever do more than one okay. because I think it really hurts the development of your players. You know, it's it's great for your number one and two guy, but, you know, if you have a team, obviously there's a lot of them, but you have a team like ours where you have some pretty damn good players playing six and seven and eight, and now you're tossing your seven guy in there against – you know someone's seven guy and you know if that seven guy happens to be on a team that isn't playing their full roster maybe it's their nine guy mm-hmm. and that guy's sitting there going like well i have nothing to gain mm-hmm. you know how am i you know maybe i can beat their two guy but we'll never know because i don't have a chance to do that you know mm-hmm. so some of the biggest breakthroughs i've had in the fall have been guys who have played individual tournaments where you've kind of thought about them like oh, i think this guy fits in here and you know i 
can look back and say, you know, a guy like Skander Mansuri, who was second year, went and rolled through regionals, you know, and then made it to fall champs when we were not really sure where he'd fit in, major breakthrough, you know. A guy like Rizar Sungu, who's, you know, made finals of regionals a couple times now. You know, or a guy like this year, for example, Filippo Moroni, who went through from pre-qualies to qualies and won around in the main. And you're like, oh, wow, you just won eight matches in a row, of which six were against guys that play top three on their team. Okay, maybe we need to think about how we're going to play you differently, you know. So that's that's the downside of the um, Hinduels, I think. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, what are we hiding them from? I, I never understood the title. It's never made yeah. sense to me. But um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I had one coach talk about the idea they don't want to typecast their players that early in the season as well. Do you like that freedom of, you know, let's say your seven, eight guy, he can go to the regional and it's for, you know, you're playing at the same level as anyone else? hundred percent. I mean, that's, again, especially for a team like ours, where we're maybe going 10 deep. Yeah. You know, you're like, how, how are you going to figure out who deserves that spot? unless you give them the opportunity to to prove it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you talk about going 10 deep. And I, again, I want to start here by talking about the 2021 season. I've been looking through all of these rosters because we're interviewing all of the Power 5 men's and women's coaches. And so I'm finding how many doubles pairings, you know, coaches go with throughout the course of a year, figuring out what's normal, et cetera. Uh, you know, normally it's in that like 7 to 10 range. You hit 19 last year, which might be a record in all of college tennis. I know part of that's a byproduct, obviously, availability. Guys were down with COVID. You have to get creative there. But is the 19 teams a byproduct of you searching for answers, or is that just what needed to happen last year is find all these pieces that fit because you didn't have the fall? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think it's a combination of all those things. I think sure. Um, yeah, number one, we didn't have guys in the fall. And obviously, when we came back, you know, we, like I said, we went and played kickoff weekend with three doubles teams that we had to literally just put together for the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, we were like, okay, well, this guy's out and this guy's out and this guy's out. And, okay. Hey, you guys just pair up and go play. Um, so I think that was basically kind of the gist of the first couple of months of it, you know, from a lineup standpoint, at least in our bigger matches, I think towards the last two months, we actually went with the same lineup for the most part. You know, I think that number is also reflective of, um, the crazy amount of du- the crazy amount of double headers we end up playing sure you know we're going to do that again this year and i just think it's number one i mean I, i'm a big believer in match play you know and just getting getting the reps um number two for us it's like you know if you look at our depth and how many guys they they need opportunity to play and, and matches and you know just to stay sharp and 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 they deserve um an opportunity to play you know and represent wake forest in a, in a live match situation as well so um you know so like like you said i think it's a combination of all those factors i think obviously covid was you know big big part of that and keeping guys out and you know having guys be hurt because they haven't maybe played enough but uh uh you know i i expect we'll probably see more of the same this year for us Mm-hmm. And two of the guys who you were going with at that number one doubles position down the stretch, Eduardo Nava, Henry Squire, 13-5 and five overall at that position. And I think Henry goes 17-6 and six overall in the year at one singles. Eduardo, uh, fantastic season for him, 17-3. and three. He wins his last 11. We talked earlier about, you know, Barr deciding not to come back at the start of last season. Of course, that did leave a gap at the top of the lineup seemingly. What do you think about the way Eduardo and Henry performed last year, filled those roles that obviously – you know you date back to 2018 the match calculus was we win one we win two we win three we find one more that's been a recipe you've had success with at wake how did those guys do fill in those shoes yeah they they both did a great job i mean i i I would argue henry probably last year was the most improved player in the country from the year before you know he came in as a freshman and he was he was a freshman you know he (laughs) he played like it you know a guy who started in january i mean and he'll be the first to tell you um, you know, his freshman year was very up and down, had a couple decent wins, and then towards the, well, towards the end of the two months or whatever, <laughs> you know, was uh, was really fading, um, you know, in the way he was playing. I mean, I think Eduardo is, he, he's such a great story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's funny. He, uh, this will be his sixth year in college tennis, and um, he still he still hasn't actually played a full season of college tennis, <laughs> yeah. which is crazy. You know, he was, he was healthy during COVID year, you know, and he played a fall for us and was playing five singles that year. And, you know, season got shut down. And then last year, obviously we didn't have a fall, you know, so he didn't get to play. And this year he's 
um, you know, kind of last minute decided to take the fall off because he only has one class to finish his graduate degree. So, um, you know, so it's uh, interesting for him, but he had he had an outstanding finish the, to the end of the season. I think, like you said, won 11 or 12 matches in a row and, you know, went to NCAAs, beat a guy first round in Matei Soto that he lost to during the year and had a very close competitive match with Rinky. And, you know, he's, he's playing some great tennis and we'll expect some big things from him this year. I do want to harp on Henry for a second because you talk about that improvement. You know, I, I was at the National Indoors. I was fortunate to get to see some live tennis in 2020, and I was there for the Squire-Kingsley match. And for both of those guys, you could just tell, like, okay, they have it. Like, whatever that it quality is in college tennis, they both possess it. It's going to be fascinating to see where it goes from here. You talk about that jump from Henry. The firepower is so evident, right? It, it's very clear in terms of hitting the ball well. He can do it as just about as well as anyone in college tennis. What have been the jumps for him that allows you to go 17-6 and six at number one when you're playing, you know, the best of the best in college tennis? Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, from the time I went to, went to recruit him, you could see he had the game. Yeah. You know, I think it was uh, putting together kind of the mental aspect and the toughness aspect of it, which I think he certainly probably lacked when he first started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has a tremendous amount of confidence now, you know, and uh, I think, you know, if you look at the fall and summer he's had, again, he's probably made another jump in his game, you know, where I, I would argue, you know, if he comes back and that's, that's an if, you know, at this point for us, um, you know, he'll be one of, if not the best college player in the country, you know, he went from 1400 to he's about to crack the top 500 now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously with, those results you know he's done a lot of winning and that means a lot of support from the german federation and he obviously looks the part and he he trains the part as well you know and and the difference i think for him now is he believes you know he believes he can be a top 100 player and that really has changed a lot of things for him and i'm curious and you know you don't have to give away all the trade secrets but in a conversation like that because look even over the last few years, Noah and Borna and Petros and Skander, they, there are all various times when they could have gone pro and either, you know, for Noah, he wins Junior Wimbledon, he wins Kalamazoo, and yet you're like, come on, come spend a semester with me and bravo to you. Again, if I ever have a wife to propose to, you're doing it, coach. Um, but, you know, all of that said, what are those, you know, from the coaching perspective, when you're looking at a player like Henry, who's got the goods, clearly, how do you negotiate those two there you know what advice are you offering versus turning pro versus hey maybe give us give it one more year yeah i mean i think it's a look i I think alex it's a very personal decision for for each player you know and they have to decide where how you know how they feel about their game how much how much support they get you know so much of about that is how much support do you have at home or wherever your training base is you know do you have a coach do you have uh, a massage therapist do you have a trainer you know, do you have a physio? What is your, um, you know, training situation like? Do you have, obviously one of the most important things is do you have funding? Mm -hmm. You know, do you come from a country that is gonna support you? You know, if you're Spanish or French or unfortunately even German, you know, the the futures and the challengers are are rampant, you know, and you have a lot of opportunities with law cards. You know, when you come from a country like Cyprus, you know, <laughs> hey, hey, we have no pro events, so good luck, you know, with the wild cards, right? So it's, um, like I said, it's it's a personal decision. Obviously, you know, I think in a case like this with Henry, where you look at how much of a jump he's made, mm-hmm. you know, you would talk to him about, okay, hey, you're still going to have a chance to play some pro events in the spring. You know, we're realistically only going to need you for so many matches. Yep. You know, I think with... I think our our team is going to be improved this year with or without him if you toss him in the mix you know you're 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 really looking at a a special team you know so you probably then start to talk to him about big draw for petros and borna you know i think for those guys was hey we can come back and compete for a national title Mm -hmm. you know and i think we can do that this year with henry you know where obviously if you're in a same situation like henry and you're maybe on a team that's going to be 15 in the country you know or 10 you don't think you can accomplish that maybe it's not as big of a draw to come back mm-hmm. no absolutely i say it all the time the 2019 performance from petros and Barr and borna where it's just like hey guys we're winning we're getting to the final at the national indoor and the ncas it's just like we're doing that just so you're all clear we just need one of you on it it was it was so impressive and again that's what makes college tennis so special but you talk about the resources and again i'm gonna jump around here a little bit but you know obviously this past off 
offseason or April, May, whatever it was, you had the introduction of name, image, and likeness and how that NIL can impact college tennis moving forward, I think is a fascinating one. And, you know, again, I obviously I'm sure you have thought about these things and given the difficulties, the, the you know, the resources uh, for players who are first trying to go out on pro following college or following their junior career, does I mean, in theory, the answer is obviously yes, but in what ways do you think NIL can help solidify college tennis as a pathway to the pros? Is that the ultimate mechanism for it where there's a world where that happens? I think it's certainly helpful. I think, you know, at this point, it's a um, massive ad- addition for American players. Sure. Um, but not for foreign players, right? Because they mm-hmm. can't do it right now. So um, I think it's certainly for the top American players you know, I think can give them more motivation to go to college. Sure. You know, if you're like one of those guys who's on that bubble, you know, and you're whatever, one or two in the country and, you know, semis or onwards of Kalamazoo and, you know, whatever top 20, 30 ITF. And you're like, ah, should I go? Should I not go? You know, if you have um, the option of going to college for a year and you know, not only will you get that scholarship and the opportunity to play pro events and the coaching and everything that comes with it, but you can make some money as well which let's be honest, not many guys will do that on their first year on the tour, right? Mm-hmm. So that that can be kind of a big draw for them to come to college. Mm-hmm. No, it's going to be fascinating to see how it impacts recruiting, and hopefully they get it under – I know like international guys can donate to charity now, right now, or something like yeah. that. And it's, Yeah, that that's how this should work. That makes total sense. Um, but, no, it's it, – it's, again, it, it's going to be fascinating. I have some more recruiting questions for you uh, a little bit later on, but I want to get back to your team – I will forever think of him as Sid the Kid Banthia. Is it time to start referring to him as Sid the Man? I mean, 20-4 and four overall last season in singles, and he's this, one of the seniors on the roster now, one of the few guys who you've had multiple falls with and, you know, multiple, like, has actually played a full dual match season. How's Sid's development been? Yeah, maybe maybe Sid the teenager. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's good. You know, we actually – it's been good having him here this fall again he wasn't here last fall so we actually made a uh, pretty good adjustment with his serve which i think has um you know improved his serve dramatically and i think he's gained some good confidence from it so you know he uh won regionals and doubles you know which was was great and he's always been an excellent doubles player and i think his doubles has actually been taken up a step you know won a couple futures this summer mm-hmm. in dubs um, you know, he had a really good weekend in singles over at uh, South Carolina, went 3-0 and there, um, didn't lose any sets. So, yeah, you know, as, as always, we look for some big things for him. He certainly has the experience, um, you know, of being a senior now and still having another year of eligibility. And he's very uh, proactive with his uh, pro tennis. You know, he's off to play another Futures next week. So, you know, we're hoping he can stay healthy and have a big year for us. Yeah, no, again, it, it was interesting last season because we talked about the depth on your team, right? There's nine guys, 10 guys, 11 guys, whatever number you want to go with. How difficult is it? Because Sid's just like, it's the comfort food at number six singles. I'm sure every time you wrote in Sid Banthi at six, you thought win. Or not win, but you felt like, all right, I know the effort I'm going to get here. At the same time, especially with no fall, Tachi, Maroney, even Body, who you know, you've probably seen for about five months, which is very, very little given it's now year number three for him. How difficult was balancing those two things of going with the lineup you felt you could win with with going with the lineup that is best for the development of Wake long-term last season? Because I feel like that was the crux. 100%. It was extremely difficult, you know, and, and it was a constant battle of trying to figure out what that was. You know, I think, you know, as a coach, you're constantly learning, and I already knew this stuff coming in, but it was next to impossible for Filippo and Tachi to have good years last yeah. year. You know, if you look at their situation, I mean – neither of those guys have played a match since February of the year before, right? They hadn't played one competitive match. And so now you're, you're taking two guys who, yes, you know, they're high level juniors and high level players. They haven't played a ton on indoor hard, you know, they have, you know, they travel the world, they've played some, but it's not like, you know, it's not their most prominent surface, you know? So they come in here in January and you're like, Hey, here's the indoor hardcore, you know, and guys are serving bombs and they're like, okay, take it a little bit okay tachi comes in a little hurt he has something with his back and hip you know so he's not moving as well and the hard courts are making it harder on him um and then about six days into the semester they both get covid so i'm like okay i'll see you guys in 15 days is what it was you know (laughs) they get thrown in a hotel so you're like 15 days of no tennis nothing okay and then you're like okay they come back and we're still indoor hard 
you know, and they haven't had a chance to do anything. No, no physical work, no tennis, no running, no lifting. So, you know, Filippo was able to adjust a little bit and he got some match play at times, you know, he did okay and was doing well. And then he got, you know, a couple minor injuries and, you know, that was basically his season, mm-hmm. you know, for him, um, you know, kind of in and out towards the end. Um, and Tachi really never was able to get it going in that he never got healthy. So, you know, Tachi, Tachi took two months at the end of the year, went home and had to do some treatment um, and finally has got himself healthy. So, you know, he took the fall off again this year because I think part of it was, you know, in June and July when we were making these decisions, we weren't really sure, mm-hmm. you know, what the fall was going to look like. It was still very much, well, we think we're going to get to play, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the time, there was like, if you look at the calendar, there was like zero futures in yeah. in America on the schedule, right? Yeah. June, July. And and now it's great. Now we have three all in one week coming up next week, you know, yeah. which is amazing. You know, and our guys who, you know, we obviously have quite a few guys who want to play pro tennis. They're like, oh, what can I play? I'm like, ah, you want to go to Europe for a week? You know, that was about it. You know, so he ended up taking the fall off. Filippo's been back here and it's been great for him. You know, he has a record of something like 23 and four this mm-hmm. fall. You know, and his losses are like to Josh Monday and Andres Martin and Toby Samuel, you know, and some of the guys like that, you know, we're all top 30, 40 guys in the country, you know, so you can just see it. He's made a massive jump in his game and his confidence and he gets it and he's getting the hang of school. I mean, you know, that's another thing you put in perspective. Those guys had literally no social or academic experience whatsoever. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to go to class. All their tutors were online. There weren't, wasn't allowed to be any socialization, parties, stuff like that. So it was, it was tough for those guys. Yeah, no, and I think that was what was so frustrating, I have to imagine, for you, is just to not have that comfort level with them at any point of the season and not get to work them in. And I think that's something all of us, as college tennis fans, are looking forward to seeing this season because you mentioned it again eight nine ten guys you can go with whatever permutations of the lineup you want squire or no squire you've got a ton of depth this season i'm curious how some of the new guys whether it's vikas whether it's ben or just you know from freshman to transfer uh how have they blended in this fall I, I, again i imagine it's been nice to just get to see everyone yeah i mean really well i mean it's so great to you know i i really look back and i think Adam, a guy like adam rosie will have one a better experience mm-hmm. and two a better season if he had been here for the fall sure you know it was just there was just no time to get to know him you know and i think for our grad guys they've had a great experience so far you know they have okay jerbeck Karimov, who you know was top 500 hp mm-hmm. you know has won a couple futures i personally think like when i watch him practice and play now and he's getting healthy he just played his first college event this past weekend played a couple doubles matches you know he came in with a bit of a shoulder injury and it's like slowly 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 getting better <laughs> you know so we're pretty pretty happy about that you know i think look he he's has a chance to be a top five college guy you know so his 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 results and pedigree certainly suggests that you know and um so he's a grad transfer from uzbekistan and you know right now he only has one year of eligibility we're hoping we can get him another year where you know the COVID year which we're pretty hopeful is going to happen and then we have jacob schneider and ben draper who Mm -hmm. both came to us from california jacob was you know one of the best two or three players in division two um and ben obviously played at cal for four years and graduated from there and they've been fantastic additions just great guys you know fit right in very mature you know jacob again with sid won uh regionals you know and he's had a a very good fall you know he's rolling in at i don't know what it is a 13-2 or 13-3 utr so he's a really strong player and ben ben has had a good fall in that he's got to play some tennis you know because he did not play a lot of tennis from COVID through, you know, fall. He obviously had to deal with COVID like everyone else and then mm-hmm. came back in January for the season at Cal. And, um, you know, they played two matches and some issues they had, you know, in COVID, their season was canceled, mm-hmm. you know, so he really didn't play a lot of tennis. So getting him back into match form has been uh, excellent for him. Yeah, I know. Again, if you want to do like Wake Forest A and Wake Forest B, it would be a fun roster. Like, it'd be. I feel like you guys could compete. Like, for sure, two top sixty-four teams. Um, no, and again, you talk about the COVID stuff. 
how, where are you guys with the protocols? And just uh, does everyone seem to have a rhythm now? Is everything a little bit easier? It's no, Alex. Honestly, it's, it's been really good. I mean, we were at our, our team's fully vaccinated. You know, staff. Awesome. And everyone at Wake Forest has to be, and the entire athletic department and staff have to be. So I think that's alleviated a lot. You know, we don't we don't have to do testing unless they have symptoms. God. Um, you know, we're we're masks indoors, mm-hmm. but not while we're practicing. You know, or or playing. So that's great. And, you know, the travel is much more normal. There's no COVID tracing. You know, if someone gets it, we haven't had anyone get COVID yet this fall. You know, had a few coughs and colds and sniffles like that. Sure. Um, entire team has the flu shot as well. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of progress. You know, it's a lot of pro- progress. I, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, when the mandate, if it does come for boosters, mm-hmm. you know, which, yeah, how long before the vaccine kind of wears off or, mm-hmm. you know, what changes with that. But uh, it's been great. Like I said, we've been full on for practice, individuals, um, you know, it just feels like I said, I, I felt like last semester, even during the season, the first two months just felt so weird. I mean, we were mm-hmm. we were traveling with masks on and face shields. I mean, you weren't allowed to have a team dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, it, only guys could room with guys that they lived with. It was it, it was it was really awkward. Yeah, no, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to try and go through that season, particularly, again, when you're trying to uh, manage all of these different people on the roster. And, you know, again, I, I am curious. I, I forgot to ask about him earlier. It was a weird season for Melius, and I know he was just never particularly healthy, and his game so predicated on, you know, we're going to go two and a half hours here, and I will never forget him versus Kyle Selig. Maybe my favorite match just individually, what a grind that was at the National Indoors 2020. He's healthy. He's feeling good coming into this year. Yeah, he's, uh, again, another guy who took a fall off this fall. Um, you know, veteran guy at this point, he's a senior again with a year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, if you look at his results, he's really made a nice jump in his game. He's again, you know, he's, I think on the border of top thousand now, and he's yeah. made quarters of a few futures and, you know, beating some five, 600 ranked guys, you know, so he's playing some good tennis. I mean, Melios, it, it, it was tough. He never, only at the end of the year, did he really get on track, you know, maybe at ACs and NCAs. It took him a long time. I mean, he was, he had a pretty solid in- wrist injury before he came back, and that kept him out, out for three months. And I think mentally that kept him from doing any exercise and eating a lot too, because he came back heavy, and I mean heavy. And uh, so he uh, he he was not ready to go physically, and he knew that, you know, and that was not great. Um, so it took him a, ta- a lot of time to get back into shape, and then obviously with that comes getting back into into match form. You know, mm-hmm. so I expect we're going to have a totally different Melios this year when he comes back. You know, he talking to him and watching his results, he is extremely motivated. It must have been good for him to learn, hey, I can put on weight, but it's like maybe not this much weight. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. It was a good learning yes. experience. Um, no, so when you look at your team this season, I'm curious from a scheduling perspective, because obviously last year was so difficult for everyone. And, um, you know, I know you have, you're have you someone who has always liked to be aggressive with your scheduling. Have you been able to refine that rhythm, everything pretty easy this year? Yeah, it's, uh, again, we're going to have a crazy challenging schedule. I mean, we're at Tennessee, at South Carolina, at Ohio State. You know, we have uh, Georgia and Central Florida at home. Um, you know, our, I think our kickoff weekend is, is really tough. we got Michigan. Um, you know, your boys in blue coming. Yeah, you don't have to tell me. I might. There's a – I'm going to say greater than 25%, lower than 50, that I'll be there, that I'll be okay, there. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, that, that's a first-round matchup, so that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. You know, and um, so it's, yeah, the schedule is, is packed again, and then you got the ACC, you know, on top of that. So it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I know this is not something your teams have ever had to deal with, like any of your teams, but I'm sure this is something you think about from a scheduling perspective. Last year, they waived the 500 rule. And for those that don't know, the 500 rule, you have to be 500 or better to reach the NCAA tournament. I think we saw some really cool scheduling last season. And obviously, Big Ten couldn't play anyone, but Baylor came up to you guys. Baylor played NC State, was supposed to play NC State, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are, where are you at with the 500 rule? Are you fine with it being waived moving forward? Oh yeah, I think it's pointless. Mm-hmm. It's pointless. It's the bottom line is the rankings will take care of themselves. You know, if you're, but if you're in, uh, you know, one of the best conferences and you happen to have a, a twelve and thirteen record, but you rank thirty five in the country, who cares? You know, it's. It, I mean, I I don't worry about it because obviously we do a ton of the double headers mm-hmm. in addition to that. I don't do them at all because of that rule. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't think about it. We do them to get guys matches, mm-hmm. you know, like I think guys deserve a chance to play. I think it really helps. Like for us, we always struggle with the indoor to outdoor transition just because it's like right halfway in the middle of season, you know, we'll be indoors through February. And then we're kind of right in that area uh, geographically where that's about when the weather turns, but you know, it's so different if you're, you know, it's March the 5th and we're practicing and it's 53 degrees out and we have to go play Florida state or Miami and it's 85 degrees out. It's just, it's just so tough, you know? So getting as many reps in, um, you know, is, is I think the best thing for us. You know, I personally think, and I'm sure I'm in the minority on this. I personally think we don't have enough dates. Mm-hmm. You know, I think tennis is, it's just, it's just a different sport to others and repetitions and match play. You know, if you look at pros, you know, how many matches they play compared to us, you know, it's a big difference. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and again, it's Friday, Sundays. That's the college tennis lifestyle. And if you can sneak yep. in a Thursday match, you're lucky because what, it's 25 dates? 25 dates and all your fall dates count so mm-hmm. you know it's interesting i only used two team dates this fall okay um i used you know maybe four dates on some guys but they'll be able to sit out a couple of the mm-hmm. double headers or maybe a lighter match you know we have enough depth to do that so yeah. they they got enough match play in and then obviously they're playing some futures and utrs on their own as well um you know philosophically as a coach you have to decide how you want to handle that you know i think in the past and i'll probably go back to this model in the future but in the past i probably used about four in the fall so you're using you know 21 so that's where qualifying for national indoors is pretty valuable because you get three free dates there in addition to your schedule so three more opportunities obviously the conference tournament is free but yeah it's not you know it's not as much as people think Mm-hmm. No, I, I I agree with you, and uh, yeah. Then you hit the end of the season, you're like, where where all the matches go? I, it's yeah, completely. And well, I'm, yeah, no, you're right. And then you toss in the no ad, and then you toss yeah. into some, you know, sometimes you know, based on a situation, you're playing a clinch. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's in a tournament or because you know you have to travel or mm-hmm. whatever it is. You know, and guys aren't finishing matches, and you really look at it. And again, if you do the analysis of it, which I do, and you compare that to say you know a guy who's 250 in the world who's playing 35 weeks and you're like ah, our guys play about half of what those guys play yeah exactly. you know and that's the reality of what it is mm-hmm. no 100 percent. and again that gets back to college as a pathway to the pros and just you know again i'm curious with all the depth and right now we have five classes of high schoolers in college tennis and obviously thus the depth everywhere is just a little bit better but you know, again, you've seen dating back to the late 90s, early 2000s to where we're at now. Is the depth better? Is the talent better? And does college remain as viable a pathway to the pros as ever? Certainly, you look at the rankings, it seems as much. 100%. 100% no, spot on. For sure, it's a path to, to the pros. And I think the depth of teams and the depth depth of the level of teams is better than I've ever seen before. You know, yeah. I think that's going to continue here for the next two years. Obviously, a big part of that is the grad transfers. You know, yeah. I still I still really feel really bad for kids that are, you know, juniors in high school right now because I think the playing opportunities are, you know, really tough. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at our team and you're like, man, we have a lot of depth. It's crazy how good the guys we have on our team that are eight or nine. Well, there's probably like 20 other teams who are in similar situations realistically. You know, maybe they're not 10 or 11 deep, but I promise you they're eight or nine deep. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just uh, – there's a lot of lot of teams that have a lot of depth now. I think it's because of that grad stuff. And yeah, at, at the top of the game, you know, you just don't know. You know, you roll into the season right now, and you're like, hey, which guys are going to be top hundred? You don't know, but eventually, it's going to happen. Would Lee Singer be like 13 on your lineup right now? Like he doesn't play at all, right? No way. No, no. no. Lee, Lee was a baller. He was he was great <laughs> under pressure. So I don't know. That's it, it is it's it is interesting, you know, because you look at look back at that, and Lee was on a team played in the lineup a couple times of teams that were you know one or two in the country mm-hmm. you know and yeah you're right if you look at his level say now compared to our level in depth that's not to say he maybe wouldn't play six but yeah. he could also be ten yeah i know it's just like sid banthy look at the futures results and it's just like that's a six singles now it's it's absolutely ridiculous and yeah. you talk about the impact the juniors in high school have uh, i want to ask about recruiting because and i think 
if you don't mind me complimenting you, and this will be the only one, um, but even though <laughs> I said you. you're proposing to my hypothetical wife, uh, you know, you've always done a good job of balancing recruiting for the future versus bringing in grad transfers to help in the now as well. But obviously, you know, that, A, I think transferring has been destigmatized, which I think long-term is actually a good thing for college tennis, but B, you know, again, we essentially had free agency this offseason, and yes, part of that's due to the COVID, but I'm curious how you balance those two things, building for the future versus recruiting for the now, you know, transfers for the now. Yeah, that's a really good question, something we think about a lot. You know, I think if you really analyze, analyze it right now, we have um, two more years, mm-hmm. you know, where grad guys are going to be able to transfer. So that's, you know, you have to kind of probably as a coach assess the level of the team and assess how much those guys are going to actually help you versus, okay, I have a grad guy and, you know, say he's the same level as a, uh, you know, Tachi or Maroney, mm-hmm. okay, except he has the experience, but how are these guys ever going to get the experience unless they have a chance to play, you know? So it's, it's a really, really tough one. You know, it's, I think you'd be, you know, you'd be silly not to use the grad transfer route if you're trying to be as competitive as possible because there has and have been, and will be some great guys on the portal that are grad guys, you know, that can make an immediate impact on your team. Having said that, I think now pretty much now, you know, is the time where you kind of have to have to start thinking about the futures as well. Yeah. So you do think it slows down post the five years of students, you know, once the COVID extra year of students have graduated? The grad transfers? Yeah, the grad transfers. Yeah. Oh, once the COVID is done, 100%. Because yeah. the guys aren't going to have that extra year, right? So yeah, sure. it's just that that's why it's so crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't think the transfer portal will necessarily slow down. I think the grad transfer portal will slow down. So there's going to be fewer options. You know, I think, look, a, a couple of schools have done it very successfully. You know, you could essentially build your entire team on grad guys over, you know, this year, last year, maybe even next year. But at some point, you're going to have to, you know, understand that that's not going to be an option moving forward. How frustrating was it for you trying to recruit, not getting to see players and talk to them in person? I'm sure you were on the play site streams, but you know how difficult was that process? Yeah, it was it was challenging for sure. I mean, you know, not being able to travel and, and meet people in person, it was very different. Um, I think it hurt the experience for everyone. You know, coaches, players, parents, you know, kids, coaches. So it, it was a challenge for sure. Mm-hmm. And are you excited? I assume you're getting back on the road here this winter. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, we, we've been out on the road, obviously, um, been in Europe, you know, so that that was good. Um, hopefully productive. You know, we're kind of starting to get to get to know some guys again, get into the Grand Slams. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'll get out there now, I think, here in December, Orange Bowl, Eddie Her, you know, see, see some more kids. And, you know, moving forward, it feels like it's going to go back to normal. Yeah, I have to say it was very fun being at Kalamazoo. It just felt like a return. You know, Kalamazoo, Orlando, all of the coaches being back in one location. You could tell how happy everyone was. And I feel like that's not always the case, but it definitely was. Everyone's just happy to see everyone and get to interact. And, you know, again, with that in mind, I know a bunch of discussions that were going on around college tennis right now. I want to run some of them by you, throw some of my funky ideas at you as well. I want to start with moving individuals to the fall uh, for the NCAA tournament, because obviously that's been discussed for a while but it does feel like conversation around that is heating up right now. Now, my ideal dream scenario would be you play NCAA individuals at the U.S. Open. Like, that's the dream, the perfect spotlight for college tennis. You then play the All-Americans after that. You play the Fall Nationals after that. You have to, you know, to qualify for let's say the 2021 u.s open in september you have to play the prior springs dual match season and that you know so those results do filter in where are you at in moving you know i think i just told you my position but where are you at on that issue pretty cool idea i'd be interested in something like that um i think i lean more towards having it in the fall because you know from my experience having done it quite a few times now you know it just doesn't get the attention it deserves after the team season you know it doesn't have the same enthusiasm you know you can go to all american main draw i feel like some guys are more motivated to be there than they are at ncas at the end of the dual max season um obviously the, the concerns with that are 
depending on how you did it, you know, the guys who start in January who wouldn't have a chance to qualify, mm-hmm. you know, if uh, you have some guys, you know, aspiring pros, you have like, okay, a guy like Rinky who, it, you know, if you did it in the fall, he wouldn't have a chance to play or a guy like Henry, you know, wouldn't have a chance to play, um, you know, if you did it. So maybe your suggestion is you do it off of last year and it's actually NCAs from last year, but it's done now. Yeah. Um, would be pretty cool. You know, the, downside of that would be it probably removes the u.s open wild card yeah or you'd have to figure out how to so, you know so there's my flip side for you coach this is perfect because how do you get the u.s open crowd to actually invest in college tennis because obviously the u.s open collegiate event they tried it i don't want to say it was unsuccessful but it wasn't a raging success that's why in my opinion and what you link into this is you're going to give a wild card to the winner regardless but you you double down you say look we're the usta we are owning college tennis we're saying it's part of our product and so to me that would be the idea is you get you know again and there i'm sure there are wake forest alums in new york there are people from every school in new york i just feel like that would be the way to actually get the new york crowd to invest is bring you know students from all these schools around and let them all come watch yeah, it could, it, you know, you're right. It could be a great idea, actually. I mean, having been at Grand Slams the second week, which is when the yeah. juniors are run, and there's a reason they run them that week. It's because they need to fill court time, right? They, exactly. they need to fill court space for people to watch. And I think having recruited a lot of the top juniors in the world, the biggest thing you'll find is that when they're at these events, whether you have a relationship with them at this point or are just starting to recruit them, they're really not interested in being recruited because they are in the – you know the moment of the grand slam you know they're feeling like a million bucks and they're like oh i just went to the locker room and there was fed and i just practiced and there was rafa and i just walked by novak you know and they're and it's awesome and they have fans and their matches are important you know and i think it would be the same for ncas you know if you did it at that time and it's a perfect time to do it because they're always looking to fill court time you know and they ate and they need that and i think those matches would probably bring a lot more even than say the juniors Mm-hmm. or some of the other events that they host, say a mixed double, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it would be a, a pretty exciting time to do it. Yeah, all right. Uh, Tim, Tim Russell, did you hear that? Tony Bresky's in. That's another coach that's in. Um, I'm now, in. Yeah, exactly. And now we just need to ask Eric Buderek very, very kindly. Um, all right, with all that said, time to get funky. So I've, I may have thrown some of these at you before. I apologize if I'm repeating any of them here. I have some rule change ideas, some things to just, again, spice up college tennis moving forward. One of them being, I just think the coin toss is a wasted opportunity. I think we can do better. So in lieu of that, the less fun option is rock, paper, scissors. And I just want to see the meetings all of the coaches have where it's like, look, paper's the 40% play. Like you're throwing paper every time. Trust me, that's what we're doing here. But B, and my preferred thing, because of course those opening five minutes, fans are coming in. How do you get them to lock in right away? In lieu of the coin toss, one point, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach winner decides the serving arrangement so just imagine the winston-salem crowd behind you tony 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 you can't get amped up and the accountability it brings between coach and player are you in or no i i, I like it i'd have to get a good reason for me to get my game going again yeah, so that'd be exactly. some good motivation so get on the treadmill a little bit get, get practicing some more so I, i'm in if you can make that happen the other rule is if you're over 50 you can have your assistant play which I'm not opposed to either because I'm down for some. Again, we have a lot of good coaches in college tennis right now. That's why I think we do. I would watch Bresky versus Woodruff. Like, I'm in one point, winner take all. Yeah, fair enough. I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah. in. Just a little chip and charge off the feed. Um, no, That's but right. <laughs> yeah, uh, from there, uh, again, this gets a little funkier as well. Lawless lineup. So lineup chicanery is always going to be a part of college tennis. Let's just double down and own it, but let's put it in the advantage of the home crowd always because a locked-in home crowd, 12 screaming college tennis fans at one individual, in my opinion, is more impactful than 100,000 at a, at a football game. And so with that said – Away team submits the lineup beforehand. Home team gets to match up however they want, just across the board. And one wrinkle a coach threw at me, which I think is probably smart, is you have your top three pool and your four, five, six pool. And it's just like you get to match up the top three however you want. You get to match up the bottom three however you want. How would you do that for, say, conference tournaments and indoors and NCAs? Uh, then it's submitted lineup beforehand. I'm just talking about regular season. Okay. This is to funk up the regular season home, you know, the home matches to make every home match a possible win. I'd be interested. I mean, I'll be, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't love our lineup situation. You know, I feel like it's probably one of the 
biggest forms of animosity that we have amongst coaches is because of the lineup. You know, you don't see any other sport that does it our way, which is entirely subjective of you know you get a basketball game and you're like hey you can play whoever you want at any point you want any you know you can pull a guy out put this guy in football you can make subs soccer anytime you know in tennis it certainly can change the entire course of a match if you're playing a lineup that people feel is incorrect right and there's Mm -hmm. as you know and as i know there's very many ways depending on the level of your team to manipulate that yeah you know and, and we've seen that so I don't necessarily love our current lineup structure. I've, I, I'm definitely open to ideas on making changes to that because I just don't love our current format, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've I've always joked around about you know, and this would probably only work. This only works at the higher level, unfortunately. It's just having a blind draw, you know, yeah. and just saying, okay, here's my six guys. Here's your six guys. We have no idea who's going to play who. You know, if you want to talk about actually developing guys, you know, outside just your top guys it's by far the best way to do it because now you don't have a number six guy you have just a guy who plays and he goes and he plays a guy who's top 10 in the country what if he gets a win there you know and how his confidence grows and how his level of tennis grows you know much like we talked about with the the hidden duels versus say a tournament right so i i don't know i'd certainly be open to ideas you know i just don't think our system you know whether you want to do it straight off utr or there's a utr range you can put these guys here whatever i wish there was some more there was more of a concrete system which you know we could put put in place i wish listeners could see the smile on my face a you're one of only two coaches who didn't immediately say no so thank you for that <laughs> b that's brilliant i'm stealing that moving forward you're right if we want all of these players to develop throw them out there and just say here are my six let's play and like i i agree it's it's definitely better for the development and i i agree the lineup part is just it's funky as is now again here's where we get particularly radical so i think the doubles point is the most exciting aspect of all tennis period the 40 minute russian roulette that is college tennis doubles from a fan perspective a it's only three matches pretty easy to follow three at once b it's just so fast everything's happening so much there's so much momentum and the swings and it's so exciting but of course after doubles ends there's this lull and you know we get the start of singles and my thinking is how do we capture that momentum and keep fans engaged from start to finish in a college tennis match and i know a lot of coaches use pizza in those middle five minutes and that works that's a good you know patch over solution but again we're getting funky here and you never would want to typecast you're playing singles you're playing doubles but my idea is you just change the format you play everything simultaneously so the doubles start you have two doubles flights three singles flights everything starts at the same time doubles are now worth one individually but so as soon as the doubles ends you turn your head and we're already through the first set of singles because the problem is after doubles that first set of singles really doesn't matter and there's just 40 minutes of kind of nothingness so my idea is you start everything at the same time you play three singles two doubles that's seven players which is a lot but it's not that much more than we have now where are you with that idea i mean i'm fully on board especially for this year for Mm -hmm. six singles and two doubles Okay. The just, problem just is, for this year. We'll but see how, how my team pans out for next year. I was, yeah, for this year, so, I like it. No. Yeah, I, would, I would love to play 10 players. Yeah, exactly. The more the merrier. It's also, what if, I mean, this is where it gets funky. You can, so you don't want to tell someone, hey, you're only playing doubles. You can sub them in when they're done with the doubles match. You're like, hey, you're playing. So maybe you go five and singles you and you're go. like, hey, we're subbing you in. And let, let's get truly funky. But I just, is there something to capturing that momentum from a fan perspective? Because I do feel like there's a lull in between doubles and singles. I, I think you're spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the um, <laughs> the outside the box thinking on that one is probably too much, you know. <laughs> but I think I, I know exactly the point you're making, and it's spot yeah. on. You know, if you if you played the doubles, well, one, it would shorten the match tremendously. You know, yeah. so now you're now you're basically guaranteeing you know under two and a half hours. Yep. You know, you're you're, you're guaranteeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when the doubles ends it's like you said there is like that little lull for probably 30 minutes mm-hmm. you know maybe till the end of say you know a couple tight first sets a, yeah. a seven six a seven five where you know four finish and you're like okay this team could be up five one after sets or it's gonna yeah. be three three you know and people don't maybe even still people think that's more important than it is anyway but it does feel a little bit more intense there but that's about the first time it does yeah. you know it's it's the end of those first sets of the last maybe two matches you know so it's probably close to an hour into the singles yeah no i agree (laughs) with you um and so again that's something i'm thinking about all right last two questions for you wake forest mount rushmore 
Give me your four guys. I would go, I mean, the serious answer, probably you go Ruben, uh, Ruben Gojo, Frisokos, Mansuri. I, just for personal ties, probably throw 1982's Armin Molino on there because shout out to Armin, yeah. my former coach. Uh, but those are my four. Give me your four. Are you talking about best players, like the, the very best guys we've had? I don't define Mount Rushmore. Whatever you think, Coach Bresky, impact on the program, I trust your judgment. Yeah, I mean, for sure, you got to go, you know, Petros, Petros, Noah Borna, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, I would toss and scan, and then you know, Noah's obviously the caveat there in that he was only here for a full year. Yeah. You know, so I think if you talk his impact on the program might be the greatest of mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you talk about like longevity, you know, maybe he's a tough one. And then you got scan, you know, and then you got a few guys like a guy who was here right before me, a guy named Corey Parr, yeah. who you know was uh, all-time wins leader, and he's done a lot for our program even after he. He was gone. He was a great player, won a national ITA fall doubles title. Um, maybe even a guy like Romain Bogarts, who was here mm-hmm. for three years, was probably my first big recruit. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like that, I think. But that that's probably – you're probably pretty accurate with, with those guys. I like it. Um, other one, freshman year Alex Domichon, because you know I have to sneak in a Domichon question always. Yep. Is he a top 50 player in the world? If he just goes that January instead of Virginia, just I'm going pro. Because I swear to God, for some, he was the original 6'7 prototype where it's just like, oh, my God, you can move that well at that size. I think he just, you know, lost once, what, to Bradley Klon at the end or to Thatcher at NCAs. That was it. Does he just walk in as a top 50 player? So that's, you know, that's actually a great question, buddy. It's a funny one. So the, the summer we started recruiting him when I was at UVA mm-hmm. was just the summer for, of his junior year going into his senior year. Mm-hmm. And that summer, uh, I was the USTA national team coach. So I was going to all the futures and stuff. And I remember watching him play at a futures. I, it might have been like Joplin, Missouri, or one of those out there, <laughs> the Cater, one of those. Yeah. And I had all my guys, and that was one. He actually ended up beating Corey Parr in the maybe quarters of that one. Mm-hmm. He lost in the finals, kind of cramped out, actually. Yeah. And I remember talking to Boland at the time, going like, hey, like we should recruit this guy, but this guy shouldn't go to school. <laughs> like, And I don't say that about almost anybody, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, he's this guy's really special. Mm-hmm. No, I, I've never seen. Yeah, I just like again. It was the fluidity too. It's just like, how do you move like that? For I mean, beat Buchanan two and two, and like yeah, as a he freshman, was, he was an absolute beast. Yeah, it's just it's nuts. And so yeah, that that is again. I always have to ask because I got to meet him for the first time at the City Open this summer, and I think he caught me like ogling from afar, and he's like, "Why are you staring at me?" I was like, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> trust me. Like it's you'll understand." Um, so that was really fun. But all right, last question for you, uh, and again, it's kind of happy but i'm asking all of these coaches this um you know what what do you want from college tennis fans to take away from wake forest this season when they watch your team play yeah i mean i think the, the biggest thing you'll you'll probably get with my team hopefully every year but you know you'll get guys that just leave it all out there in every match you know so you know as a fan if you're a fan of our team you come watch us you know obviously the nature of sports we're not going to win every match but it's certainly not going to be from a lack of preparation or effort or passion, you know, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to even exceed that this year. You know, our team chemistry is through the roof. You know, we have so much experience, you know, a few guys you didn't even mention come back, you know, a guy like Rizard Sungu, who's here for his fifth year. I mean, awesome summer. I don't know. You know, he won a futures this summer. He's maybe one of the, I don't know, four or five college guys that has, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, a guy like Rob Macyag, who's down his third year and having some yep. very good results. You know, guys like Mac Thompson, Juan Lopez, you know, returning core of everyone that we have. It's uh, it's it's an awesome group. You know, we I, I think fans will really enjoy uh, the, the passion and effort of the guys this year. Mm-hmm. No. Well, again, uh, we always look forward to seeing a Coach Bresky team compete here at Cracked Racket. So, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this morning. Obviously, hoping you and the guys stay safe, stay healthy. And, yeah, um, I mean, it depends how comfortable. We'll see how the first weeks go. If I'm feeling like Michigan can beat you guys, I'll be there in Winston-Salem. If not, you know, I have way too much pride to come down. Well, hey, I, I, I don't want them to beat us, but they definitely can. You know, they're, they're, they're a great team, and Steiny and Benjamin have done a great job with them. So especially, you know, I've petitioned the ITA like 10 or 12, 12 times now to be able to allow us to play that outdoors. You know, they keep telling me no, which is awkward, yeah. uh, but I'm going to keep trying until the weekend before then. But, uh, you know, that's going to be a tough matchup. 
Yeah, it's actually me in the back. I text him just like, say no. Just like, say Fair no. Enough. Sorry, we're Fair going enough. indoors. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah I'm, I'm pretty close to getting our courts to be clay by then. You know? <laughs> so indoor play, that's fine. Um, you know, but we're not quite there yet. Oh, Kungu on the clay. It's just like, that's a scary thought. Yeah, that would that's be a good the, home field event. Is that against the rules, by the way? Could you do that legally? You could not. No, we're not allowed to do clay. <laughs> that would yeah. be... That'd be fun. Um, you know, you'd have a few teams that would be doing that. Yeah, one or two for sure. But again, sure. Uh, Coach Bresky, thank you so much for taking the time. Be safe, be healthy. We will talk to you more soon. Thanks, buddy. Have a good day. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.